Thank you for tuning in to Conroe United Pentecostal Church today. We pray that this podcast is a blessing to you. If there is ever anything we can do for you, please email admin at conroeupc.org. Why don't we tell him how great he is? Why don't you express yourself to him? You're holy and great and mighty. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We bless you, Lord. We worship you, Master. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for gracing us with your presence today. Amen. I'm so thankful that each of you are here on this week of sacrifice. And as I told you, when you step into one of these weeks, all sort of things and all sort of distractions manage to rise up. But what an incredible, incredible week that we've had, the repentance of offering ourselves to the Lord. We had a prayer line here on Thursday night that was just uh, just phenomenal. Out of your, out, out of, it, was out of, it was more than I expected, and a wonderful, wonderful witness of the Holy Ghost. And then on a personal level, the close of that last prayer meeting when Sister Ramsey asked each of you to come and share love with my wife and I, Pastor Trent and Sister Caleb. I was so touched, and I so appreciate, I so appreciate the spirit that we felt this week during our times of sacrifice. Amen. And the young people from Texas Bible College sacrificed this morning to be with us, and we thank you. Thank you. If y'all want, you can just stay, and we'll keep you here forever. You don't need to go back to Lufkin. Amen. Thank you so much for helping us this morning. I want to go to the word of the Lord. Amen. We have guests here today. Feel at home. Amen. If it's your first visit with us, please don't let it be your last. If you've not been here in a few days, where have you been? But I'm so thankful for each of us here this morning. This has been our annual week of sacrifice. There have been many meals fasted this week. Many hours of prayer have gone forth. And, of course, at the close of this service, we'll receive that annual offering that Pastor Trent talked about. I want to read to you one verse this morning and then endeavor to follow after what the Holy Ghost has put in my heart. Sleep left me on um, Monday night. Sleep left on Monday night. And um, all night long, I was up. And I feel like I have a fresh word this morning. The book of Psalms, 118, verse 27. Psalms 118 and 27. God is the Lord, with which has showed us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords, even into the horns of the altar. I read it once, and I'm going to read it a second time, and I I know that since we've all read it, it will be a a bit smoother 
on this second reading. God is the Lord. He has showed us light. Therefore, bind the sacrifice with cords, even unto the horns of the altar. And this morning I bring a thought, a title for maybe you to remember, to connect back to the spirit that will come in this place in about 20 minutes. And simply this, tie me to the altar. Tie me to the altar. Amen. Please be seated this morning. We live in a day of unprecedented blessing. No doubt, no doubt every person in this room over the age of 12 owns a cell phone. As a matter of fact, uh, most of us have been on our cell phone since the worship service started. Is there a witness in the house? But we have these things, these things that we feel that are so important to us. As a matter of fact, let's just stop. Can you pull your cell phone out? And um, I would like us to click open to social media real quick. And I want you to check into this service, all right? You let the devil know where you're at this morning. Let the world know where you're at this morning. So let's just do a check-in real quick. Some of you have already checked in. Check in again. Amen. We need to, we need to let the world know where we're at this morning. Bingo. I'm here. You don't know how to do it? We need some young people to help some old people. There's no signal in here? Well, praise the Lord. We had a prayer meeting here one time. I thought it was the Holy Shekinah that lit up the room. And I realized later it was the blue glow from the cell phone screens where people were texting during the prayer meeting. So now that, um, now that if you could, you've checked in. And if you couldn't check in, that's all right. I want us to make an ultimate sacrifice this morning. And I'd like for every one of us here to hit that button on your phone that turns it off. This is painful. There's not a one of us here that's so important that we can't do without this 20 or 30 minutes. Amen. And so um, I thought I was turning it off, but it's now telling me there's not a one of us here that's so important that we can't do without this. So I'm not even, I don't even know how to turn it off. Isn't that a sign of our modern addictions? I don't know what that means. If you like, I can. I don't know how to turn my phone off, so I buried it. So, who would have ever thought, who would have ever thought that every one of us would carry one of these things around with us? For those of us that are old enough to remember rotary phones and 25 or 30 foot extension cords on our phones, stretching down a hallway into a bathroom or a bedroom, people getting clotheslined on the telephone cable at midnight when you went to the only single bathroom that was in your house in those days. But who would have ever thought that each of us would, would carry around with us this small personal communication device that today we pay over $1,000 for one of them. 
I know you don't spend the whole thousand the first day, but you buy them on the payment plan. And you make payments for a couple of years on those things. And, and when it's paid for, you decide you've got to go through that whole thing again and get another new one. And um, you have one. Mom has one. Dad's got one. Kids have got them. And when you look at the collective value of the cellular phones in any given room, probably we could reduce national debt. We could certainly erase a church mortgage simply with the cost of our cellular expenses that we have. Today, as that example, our country is seeing prosperity at the level that we've never seen it before. I can testify to the fact that, without doubt, I am viewing and seeing prosperity at incredible levels. And here's my measurement. This past summer, without doubt, has been our most poorly attended summer of attendance here at our church in the soon-to-be 29 years that we have been here. Everybody has a couple of dollars, even the poor people have dollars right now. It seems like that regardless of your regardless of your political affiliations and thoughts about the current events of our day, we are all feeling the trickle-down effect of an absolutely booming economy. Don't listen to the news reports about how bad things are. Because I can testify today that things are not bad because I'm watching poor people have dollars in their pockets. People that have never taken vacations before, they're taking vacations. People that take one vacation a year, they took two so far in 2019. We have people that take three or four vacations a year. Normally, they've taken a dozen this year because there is this wonderful economy and this extremely Spirit of prosperity upon our country right now. We have college kids that go to college. They carry a $1,000 cell phone. They'll have a $1,500 laptop. They'll have a $500 iPad just in technological things. Many of them don't have to work jobs while they're in college. As a matter of fact, We've never seen a day like we see today with secondary education, with young people being able to go and to study at unprecedented levels with unprecedented blessings in their life. Truly, we are living in a day of abundance uh, and of blessing. I rejoice with the fact that we usually have a dollar or two left at the end of the week. I rejoice to the fact that I'm blessed that I, that I can carry one of these crazy cellular devices that cost so much. I'm so rejoicing today that I can stand here and preach off a device that is absolutely incredible when it comes to its technology. In days past, no one could have afforded or even forethought these things. Truly today, we live in a day of abundance and of blessing. And our church enjoys people who worship here that are blessed of God. And I'm so thankful for every blessing. I'm so thankful for every family. 
I'm so thankful for every report that I receive of bonuses and gifts and checks in the mail and blessings of God that come. And surely, truly, the last several months have been months of blessing and provision and abundance to our church. And for that, I want to stop and offer the Lord just a moment of thanksgiving for His blessings in my life. Can you do that? Amen. 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 Hallelujah. We give you honor, Jesus. We praise you, Jesus. We magnify you, Master. Hallelujah. Thank you for our jobs. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for our cars and our houses, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we worship you. Amen. Amen. Such, uh, without doubt, such was the same environment of abundance and blessing existed in David's day. This king, he had seen many wonderful things take place uh, in those years of his ascending to the leadership uh, of God's people. Uh, He'd faced his lion. He'd faced his bear. He'd faced his giant. But yet, he had never really come face to face with himself. He'd faced a king that wanted to kill him. He'd ascended at one point to the throne of Judah. And then just a few months later, he was, he was appointed and ascended to the throne of Israel. And those two separate countries, they united under the leadership of this wonderful king. And he led Israel into a powerful military and financial coalition that it was just so very incredible. This man, he had faced his giants. He'd faced his Philistines. He'd conquered giants. He had conquered Philistines. He had overcome the insurrections of his own people. He had navigated the difficult waters of family trauma. He'd seen one daughter raped by her brother. He'd seen another son kill the brother that was guilty of that horrible act. He had fled in the face of the rebellion of his most beloved son, Absalom. He'd wept over the death of Absalom when Absalom was killed by one of the soldiers that served David. David had seen incredible victories, but yet he'd also... He'd also faced his own failures. His own moral failure would mark him and leave him with this stain for the rest of his life. But oh, we look and see that moment of moral indiscretion in his life. And we mark him and we remember the thing that he did that was so horrible. But I'm going to in a few moments share with you something that I view to be much worse in David's in David's repertoire of great events in his life. In all all of this, David had risen to great heights. There had not been success at this level in Israel before him. He was an incredible leader. He had the favor of God. As a matter of fact, time and time again, we find David listed, written about, and sang about as as the man who was after God's own heart. God's 
hand was upon David. And God's heart rejoiced over the things that David done. He even realized that when I fail, I can get up. And when things go wrong, I've got a God who will redeem me and keep me. And he learned at that moment of that, of that moral indiscretion in his life. That there was mercy, there was grace, and there was forgiveness in the presence of the Almighty. And from that point, he could only rejoice. And with his writings in the book of Psalms, he leads us to, to, to this day with songs of rejoicing, songs of thanksgiving, songs of deliverance, and songs of hope. And when you realize this awesome thing that had developed in David's life, in the leading of the people, to following after God, living in the mercy, walking in the grace, living in abundance, enjoying financial and material blessings, family blessings, and all of these things that had come to him. It's in this environment that I look at a man who had more prosperity and abundance than you and I probably could understand today. And in his writings, we've watched him when he wept, we've watched him when he rejoiced, but when I arrived this week at the book of Psalms chapter 118, something began to transform in my spirit because when I arrived there, I cannot begin to read the entire chapter to you. But in that chapter, I found a life-changing moment. I found a moment that transcended the normal times when David would say, I will rejoice and I will lift up the Lord. When he would say things like, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. When we when we see those famous words of David, I find in chapter 118 of Psalms this morning something that grabs my heart and challenges me to the very core of my spirit. I will quickly try, I will quickly try to simply, in a synopsis version, go through those first 26 verses of Psalms 118. He gave me mercy. Not just mercy, but everlasting mercy. Mercy that would endure forever. When I was in trouble, I called on the Lord in my distress. When I did that, uh, the Lord answered me and he sent me to a large place. He brought me to a greater place. He put me in a better position. The Lord answered me and set me in a large place. The Lord is on my side. I have no reason to fear. No man, no thing can hurt me or harm me. The Lord has blessed me and he has blessed those that bless me. I see my desires and the things that I feel need to happen come to pass in the lives of those who have hated me. Lord, I know that I can trust you. I will not put my confidence in man. I will not put my confidence in kings. I will not put my confidence in princes. I will not put my confidence in presidents 
or in governors. I will put my confidence in the Lord. When I was surrounded, he delivered me. He delivered me through his holy and wonderful and magnificent names. There was one point in my life they swarmed me like bees. It was in that moment that some came and would wrap me with thorns and tried to push me down. They tried to make me fall. But oh Lord, you helped me. Oh Lord, when they pushed me down, you lifted me up. When they wrapped me with thorns, you pulled me out. Hallelujah. This I've come to know. The Lord is my strength. The Lord is my song. And the Lord is my salvation. I am surrounded. I am surrounded by the voices of rejoicing. I am surrounded by those who worship you. I am surrounded by those who lift up your name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There is uh, no salvation. There is salvation because of you in my house. Oh Lord, you chastened me. In those moments that you chastened me, you did not give up on me. You forgave me and you helped me and you saw me through that you have opened doors for me Lord doors of righteousness doors for your spirit doors for your kingdom and doors for your greatness and when I went through that door and I worshipped you showed up in my in my presence when I walked through that door and I lifted you up God I wasn't by myself but your presence came your glory came your witness came Lord when I went through that door he's opened doors for me doors of righteousness doors for his spirit and so since when I've worshipped you've shown up therefore I'm just going to praise you I'm not going to do anything in my life without offering you a praise without offering you worship oh He says, when I was refused by others, God, you accepted me. The Lord has done so much for me. He has done marvelous things. He has done great things. He has done big things. He's done unthinkable things. Therefore, this is the day that he has made, and I will rejoice in it. This is his day. He has made it. It's a moment for us. Therefore, I will rejoice. I will magnify him. I will lift him up. I will rejoice in him. I will be glad. I will exalt him. For he has saved me, and for he has blessed me, and he has brought upon me great prosperity. Blessed be his name. Blessed be his name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Most High. He is my God. He brought me out of darkness. He placed me in the light. Oh, Oh, it makes me want to lift my voice. It makes me want to give a shout. It makes me want to rejoice. That's what he's done. That's what he's done. Hallelujah, hallelujah. 
And I find, I find this incredible synopsis of the blessings and prosperity there upon David's life through that one, through the first part of that 22nd, that 27th verse in Psalms 118. And suddenly it's as if he is stunned to a moment of silence. Because in that 28th verse, I see where it says, Thou art my God, and God, I will praise thee. Thou art my God, and I will exalt thee. In that 27th verse, he pauses and says these words. He's just told us about prosperity and blessings and the goodness of God and coming out of darkness and seeing the light and rejoicing and magnifying the Lord. When there's a colon in the middle of that verse, and then he says these words, bind the sacrifice with cords. He says, bind the sacrifice with cords, even tie or or bind the sacrifice to the horns of the altar. David's saying there is so much blessing in my life that I can't really enumerate it. There is so much abundance and prosperity and deliverance and spiritual growth in my life that it's just stunning to think about it. And in that verse, in the middle of all this rejoicing, he stops and says, bind the sacrifice with cords, even tie the sacrifice to the horns of the altar. The Lord, he is my God, he says, which has showed me the light. Therefore, bind this sacrifice with cords, even to the horns of the altar. To me, startling clear to me in the middle of the night earlier this week, I see this passage and And I see a man of God that's operating in abundance and blessing. Operating with so much prosperity and the goodness of God in his life. When he stops in the middle of his rejoicing and thanking God for the abundance in his life. It seems as if there's a switch finally goes on in his mind and his spirit. And if you can remember, David had faced his his lions. And David had faced his bears. And David had faced his giants. He had conquered those things. But yet, to date at that point, he had never faced and conquered himself. And in that moment of celebration and rejoicing in the 118th chapter of the book of Psalms, he pauses in the middle of all of that. And it's like he comes face to face with his reality and who and what he was. And he's saying, in the midst of my blessing, in the midst of my prosperity in the midst of this abundant greatness in my life. He said, God, you got to take this living sacrifice that's my life and you've got to tie me to the altar. You got to take me, God, and you tie me to that altar. You get that rope. You wrap it around the horns of the altar. You wrap it around me and you tie me. You tie me to the altar. It's in this moment that I've come to realize just as David came to realize 
says, in my abundance, I am but flesh. And in my blessing, I am but a human. And all of the goodness and the greatness that God has allowed in my life, I'm still flesh. And I don't like to sacrifice. And I don't like to crawl up on that altar. And it's not easy. It's not easy to crawl up on that altar. It it just goes. It's not easy to show up and pray. It's not easy to fast. It's not easy just to make that moment in your life where I'm going to sacrifice. But David had it figured out. And in that moment, in that moment of clarity, he said, God, you got to tie me to an altar. God, you got to tie me to this thing. You got to tie me tight. Tie me in a way, God. I can't get out of here. You wrap that rope around the horns of the altar and you tie me, God. You hold me to that thing, Lord, and don't let me go. Oh, somebody lift up your hands. Somebody lift up your voice and tell God, Lord, I need to be tied to the altar. I need to be bound to the kingdom. I need you, Lord. Oh, hallelujah. 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 Tie me to that altar, Lord. Tie me to my sacrifice. Tie me to my consecration. Tie me to my prayer life. Tie me to my Bible. Tie me to my worship. Tie me to my calling. Tie me to my giftings. Tie me, God, to the kingdom. Ah. Hallelujah. It's, it's in the midst of this prosperity that we enjoy. It's easy for so much for us to enjoy our prosperity and forget that more important than our prosperity is the altar in our life. More important than the blessings of God is the spirit of God working and alive in our life. And so this morning, I've come with a declaration of my spirit. I come to lead you and I've come to challenge you to a new dimension that we're going to get ourselves tied to the altar, tied to the kingdom. Tied to the anointing. Tied to the Spirit of God. Tie me, Lord, to the altar. Oh, oh. I find, I find them in Jesus. When Jesus was facing the turmoil of trauma in his disciples, and I mentioned this passage just a few days ago, but Jesus was facing the trauma and turmoil of the disciples that were following him. It says that one moment he had a crowd that was following him, and he looked up, and one day he saw some of that crowd that followed him begin to drift away, and it began to break his heart. And he looked as people drifted from their giftings and drifted from their callings and drifted from following after him him. It was in this moment of of frustration in his human spirit where he turned around and he asked the disciples, he said, will you also leave me? And it's in that moment that Simon Peter, that mouthy, impetuous, uh, verbal Simon Peter, he just blurted out to the Lord, Lord, we're not going to leave you. As a matter of fact, Lord, where would we go? We don't have anywhere else to go. You have the words of life. And I see something happening right there. There is a group of people. There is a young man that will be one day the leader of the church. He looks at the Lord and says, Master, I'm tied to this thing. I'm tied to you. I don't have anywhere else to go. I don't have another thing to do. There's nothing more important than what you're doing in my life. Lord, to whom would I go? I'm tied to you, Lord. I'm going to be there at the resurrection. I'm going to be
be there at the crucifixion. I'm going to be there at Pentecost. I'm going to be there and you're going to have your way with me. I am tied to this house. Oh, hallelujah. Sister Martin couldn't have known what she told me was, was right in keeping with the spirit of this Sunday morning service. But in that moment when you as a church came and greeted me and hugged my neck and told me wonderful things, she said, I, you know, she's been around for 20, 29 of the 29 years. And, and I call her like a, another sister of mine. And so she looked at me and she says, you know, you can't get rid of me. And then she says, I'm tied to this place. Something rose up in my spirit when I got a confirmation, when I realized you're going to have a church. You got to have some folks that's tied to it. You got to have some folks that's determined we're going to see a move of God. Tie me, oh Lord, to this altar. Tie me, oh Lord, to a move of God. Tie me, oh Lord, to this house. It is. It is with this thought that I see three snapshots of the Apostle Paul this morning that I find absolutely astounding. He, he gave us, uh, he gave us what I called his beseeching moment. When he began to cry out and talk to the Lord, when he said these words, I beseech you, my brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. Somehow Paul had figured this out pretty quick when he realized it's important, it's important that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. And a body that's alive don't want to sacrifice. A body that's alive doesn't want to get on an altar. So he understood and says, if I'm going to be holy and I'm going to be acceptable unto God and I'm going to be pleasing unto God and I'm still alive, I am a living sacrifice. And the way for me to realize enjoy the blessings of God is for me to somehow manage to get myself tied to an altar. Because when I'm tied to the altar, when I'm tied to the altar, my feet can't go some places. When I'm tied to the altar, my hands can't go some places. When I'm tied to the altar, my eyes can't go some places. My mouth can't say some things. When I'm tied, that's the reason he said, you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Sacrifice. You get yourself living tied to an altar and you'll find holiness and you'll find how to preach, how to bless me and find exception in my life and in your life for me. It is that, that, that beseeching moment of Paul that I find so absolutely incredible. And then there, there is yet another moment that I, I, I want to point to another verse that I find that is extremely extremely incredible. What? It's that, it's that moment of Paul's exclamation. It's, it's, that, it's that moment that he simply rears back and he says, what? It's, it's an expression. At first, uh, I didn't know if he was getting a word from God and he was saying, what? God? But then, but then uh, I, I read it again and I realize that what? He's not talking to God. He's talking to the church. He says, what? Uh, 
Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which are which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? Won't what? Don't you understand that you don't own yourself? What? Don't you understand? You're a dwelling place for my spirit, for I bought you with a price. Therefore, I want you to glorify God in your body, and I want you to glorify God in your spirit. You can't glorify God in your body, and you can't glorify God in your spirit if somehow you don't take a moment in your life and say, God, you tie me to that altar. You tie me where my body will be pleasing unto you. You tie me, oh God, in such a way that I will be holy and I will be acceptable and I will be able to glorify you with my body. And you cannot keep a right spirit and you cannot keep a pure spirit and you cannot keep the spirit of righteousness and holiness inside of you and outside of you without this being tied to the altar. And so when I realize Paul said, I'm a living sacrifice. And when I'm a living sacrifice, and I'm on that altar. My hands don't open certain websites. My mind doesn't, doesn't think certain thoughts. I don't have conversations with wrong people. I do what God finds pleasing unto him. And if I untie myself from the altar, I just might find myself in a compromising situation. But over here, tied to the altar, it's a no compromise zone. Tied to the altar is a no failure zone. Tied to the altar is the glory zone. So, Almighty God, I pray you tie me, tie me, tie me, oh Lord, to an altar. Hallelujah. I, I must hasten, but that third snapshot of Paul that I see this morning is, is when I see him looking, and he's riding back to the church, and he, he points the finger over at some faithful saints of God that were in another church. He says, brethren, I want to point you over here, and I want you to look at the house of Stephanus. When you get over there, and you start looking at the house of Stephanus, he says these words, brethren, I want you to know the house of Stephanus, which is the first fruits of Achaia that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. Somehow, Stephanus and his family, his children, and his grandchildren. There was a generational thing that was going on in his family. They had somehow gotten themselves addicted to kingdom things. They got themselves addicted to spiritual things. And when he points that picture, that finger over at Stephanus, the way he said it was, they gotten addicted addicted to the ministry of the saints. They've gotten addicted to the things of God. They've gotten addicted to the things of the church. And Paul says in these three snapshots, he said, I beseech you that you be a living sacrifice. He says, you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. And so I say, you don't own yourself. You got to stay tied to an altar. And then I say, you want an example, Paul said, you want an example of a living sacrifice. You want example of people who've got it all figured out. Look at Stephanus. Stephanus and his family, they've gotten themselves so addicted to the kingdom. That's all they think. The addict, all he thinks is his next fix. The alcoholic, all he thinks is his next drink. Uh, the, 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 uh, the one that, the porn addict, all he thinks is his next website. We just think nonstop to our own damage. We think that way. But this family, they learned a secret. Instead of being addicted to a porn 
foreign thing that will destroy me. Instead of being addicted to alcohol, which will destroy my family. Instead of being addicted to these other things, we choose to be addicted to the things of God. We're not going to tie ourselves to something ungodly. We're not going to tie ourselves to something unrighteous. We're not going to tie ourselves to wrong habits, wrong things, wrong entertainments. But instead, on a Sunday morning, we're going to say, you know what, Pastor? I think I need to be tied a little tighter. Tie that knot tighter, Pastor. Tie it around me. Hold me tight. Don't let me loose. I want to be tied. I want to be tied to an altar. Can you give God some glory now? It's in, it's just in this concept that I see David, where I've watched him. We've watched him today. We remembered him today through the snapshot of tremendous blessings and glory. And we look at him and we look at the dark moments of his life. And because we're human and we're flesh, we look at David's life and say, the darkest moments of his life were the days following his moral failure. When the days when he not only lusted and fell in sin morally, but then he lied and, and, then, then, he, and then he committed murder to cover his sin. We as men, that sounds so bad to us. That sounds, we somehow in our human mind, we categorize sins. And if it's of that nature, it's really, really bad. As a matter of fact, we don't think you get much worse than that in the way that our flesh works. But oh, I've come today with a word and a, and a snapshot of something in David's life that was much more dark than his failure and his moral decay in that situation of his life. Here's David. He's come face to face with himself and he's saying, tie me to an altar. I want to suggest the thing that drew this thing so deeply into his mind and spirit was not his moral failure, but it was the day he said, I'm going to number Israel. Huh? What's that mean? It was the day that David decided we're fixing to have a census and we're going to count every man. We're going to count every woman. We're going to count every child. We're going to count every animal. We're going to count. We're fixing to enumerate and create an accounting of the blessings of God. Now, that sounds maybe that might be good stewardship, but God saw something unfolding in this fleshly man named David that he loved so much. He saw this tendency in us to climb off the altar and then find things that make us happy and bring us joy and gratify our flesh. And when God saw David living in that abundance and all of that prosperity, he said, David, don't you number Israel. I don't understand God. Well, I can't number Israel. I can't. God says he sent his man. He sent a a prophet by the name of Gad and says, Gad, you tell David, don't do it. Don't do it. The blessings of God are upon him. The abundance of God is in his life. Uh, across this kingdom is unbelievable blessings and provision and prosperity. Tell him not to do it. Uh, but David, that day, he decided, I'll crawl off my altar. I'm going to do, and when I get this figured out, I'm going to be able to say, I've got a million men. I'm going to be able to say, I'm worth a billion dollars. I'm going to be able to say, we have this much cattle. We have this many sheep. We have this many acres that are in farming and agriculture. But God has said, 
God had something else in process there. That abundance and that blessing that was in David's life had been put there not for David had the attitude that I own these blessings. He had the attitude that this is all mine. And God says, that is not yours. That, that, that is from me. And I've allowed the blessings of God to come into your life, not for you, but for me. Not for you to get glory, but for me to get glory, David. And whatever you do, David, you don't act like it's yours. You don't hang on to it like it's yours. You don't treat it like it's yours. But instead, David, I want you to realize that abundance and that provision is for me and not yours. And so David, having crawled off of the altar, he counted Israel. He numbered it. And they were celebrating. They were celebrating this wonderful blessings and prosperity that God had given when God sent an angel to Israel. And that angel arrived in Israel and stood over by a man's barn, the name of Ornan. He stood by Ornan's barn. And when he stood there, he lifted up his hand toward Israel. And in three days' time, there were 70 thousand Israelite men that passed away in three days time and there was a plague you've got to understand when Old Testament talks about there being a, 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 they count the numbers of men their time and their culture they didn't count the women they didn't count the children so just a conservative thing that day 70,000 men died and I have to say be conservative if every one of those men had but one wife and had but one child one equals three and seven thousand that died that day and all reality were more than 200,000 people that died that day and David saw this horrible thing that was happening he saw this plague of death that was coming across Israel he saw the angel by Ornan's tent by Ornan's barn that was bringing that to pass and David fell down on his knees and cried out to God and said God don't put this on Israel put this on me this is not Israel's fault God this is mine what am I going to do will you stop the plague and God stopped the plague and when the plague stopped David continued in the presence of the Lord and the Lord says David I want you to go and offer sacrifice right now for Israel David went to offer sacrifice he said I'm going to the very place where this came from he went to Ornan's barn he stood outside Ornan's barn where he'd seen that angel bringing that destruction and he says I'm going to buy this place so I can offer sacrifice right here Ornan says Oh king. Oh, David, you've been so good. You've been so wonderful. Let me just give you my barn. Let me just give you my cattle. Let me give you all that pertains to my barn and my farm right now. And David says, oh, Nan, we cannot do that. I cannot do that. He says, because I'm arrived at a point where I've got to make a sacrifice to God and I've got to make this sacrifice and I cannot give something to God that didn't cost me something. I can't give something something to God that comes from my abundance or from the gifts to others. And I say this Sunday morning when we've come on a day of sacrifice, when we give and when we sacrifice, we've got to be able to feel it. And if we don't feel it when we sacrifice, we did not sacrifice. And if we don't hurt after we've given, we really haven't given from the depths of what God's done. Instead, we've done it from our abundance. And I stand here this Sunday morning saying, God, God, like David, I'm where David was, God. 
I'm wanting to crawl off this altar. And I'm not wanting to do some things. But I know, God, if you're going to bless my sacrifice, it's truly, God, to be sacrificed. And David said, I'm on this altar now, and I'm tied to it. And I can't do this out of the abundance and the blessings and the provision of God. Now, this sacrifice is God to cost me. I'm done preaching. I want to challenge you this morning. Get yourself tied to the altar. Get yourself in such a way that when your flesh rises up, you're tied to an altar where your flesh stays under submission. Get yourself in such a place that when it comes time to dig deep and make new commitments to God, that you're not driven by your flesh, but rather you're driven by the knowledge of knowing I'm tied. I'm tied to an altar. I'm telling you here this morning, more important than our music program, more important than our public image, more important than the blessings of God that we've got in our life, it is the altar of God that we have in our life. We cling to programs. Sometimes we turn loose of an altar. I'd rather lose a program, but don't ever let me lose an altar. I'd rather lose a program. I'd rather lose a family. But God, whatever I lose, Lord, don't let this altar, don't let this place, don't let it slip out of my hands, oh God. But tie me to it, Lord. Tie me to it, Lord. Tie me. Tie me, Lord, to the altar. Would you stand with me this morning? 38 minutes I've challenged. And you know that this week and today is about a sacrifice. So, if you don't mind, close your eyes with me. Close your eyes and open up the door of your heart. Say, God, I want to be tied to an altar. God, today I'm, I'm making a commitment of sacrifice. And Lord, this time... It's not out of my abundance. It's not out of my ease. But today, Lord, today, Lord, we've come to make a sacrifice that cost us something. Right now, would you start talking to Jesus, Master? Just in your own way, you talk to him. Listen and let him talk to you. There are minutes, and then there's this moment. I pray the help and the witness of the Holy Ghost. Second Samuel chapter 24, verse 16, excuse me, verse 18. This will be on the screen, the New International Version. This is the beginning of the story that Pastor just preached about, and I did not know that he was going to preach about this portion of the story in his message. When I shared this with him this morning, we both felt the Holy Ghost in the office because we knew that this was a God-ordained moment for our church. On that day, Gad went to David and said to him, Go up and build an altar 
to the Lord on the threshing floor of, of, of Araniah the Jebusite. Build an altar. There are minutes and then there are moments. There are 1,440 minutes in a day. And we are experiencing one of those nearly 1,500 minutes as we stand here and as I speak to you this morning. But we are experiencing something much greater than a minute. We are experiencing a defining moment in our church in this moment and in this message. I feel the Holy Ghost this morning. I feel the Holy Ghost in this moment of sacrifice. Surely the presence of the Lord is here. Maybe it would do you good just to lift your hands and say, God, speak to me in this moment. Maybe you're not feeling anything in this moment. Why don't you surrender your heart to his in this moment? David's call to sacrifice was three things. It was an opportunity for a heavenly transaction. It was an opportunity for a heavenly transaction. And this morning, as we give sacrificially above our tithes and above our normal offering, as we sacrificially give to missions this morning, we are presented a transaction with the heavenly realm. We are presented an opportunity to invest into the kingdom of God more than just our dollars and more than just our cents. But we are presented an opportunity that will change the direction of our family and of our church. Look at your neighbor and say, this is a defining moment. This is a defining moment. Secondly, it was an opportunity to stop the death or the collateral damage of his own rebellion. This pastor spoke about over 200,000 people had passed away in 72 hours. 2,010 people, conservatively estimating, had passed away. This was David's opportunity to stop what his rebellion had begun. Today, church family, listen to me. Under the anointing of the Holy Ghost, you have an opportunity to stop what years of rebellion, what years of curse has been taking place in your life. I'm not saying that you are rebellious and going to hell, but I am saying mistakes that we have made can be reversed today by the power of the Holy Ghost when we offer to God something that costs us greatly when we give Him what, when we give him until when we give to him until it hurts, we reverse the curse of sin in our life. Thirdly, it was an opportunity to turn painful minutes into a memorable moment. All throughout the Old Testament, specifically dealing with the children of Israel, God had commanded them to build altars as a memorial. And just as God had commanded that of the children of Israel, I believe in 2019 to the spirit and to the heart of Conroe United Pentecostal Church, this is a moment where we build a memorial. This is a moment where we build an altar and years 
years down the road when we are living in the blessings of God, when we realize that our children have come back to God, we can stop and turn around and point to an altar and say, that was the moment that the yoke of bondage was broken in my family. That was the moment when I tied myself to an altar, when I built an altar, and I said, I will not budge off of this commitment. That is the moment that I will always remember. And as the ushers come forward at this moment, can we lift our hands and and can we say, God, purge our heart as we sacrifice to you in this moment, God. Lord, let this be a let this be a memorial in the history of this church, God. No matter what the dollar amount is that comes in a sacrificial offering today, Lord, we're not worried about how much or how little comes in. Lord, we are worried about building an altar and tying ourselves to the cause of your kingdom. Lord, we can't go to a foreign field, but we can help send people. Lord, we can't, Lord, we can't train all the ministers we need to in this house but we can partner with Texas Bible College. Lord, we can't go to Europe here in a couple weeks, but we can partner with the Seton family. God, we can't do all that you are asking to do. We can't do all that needs to be done in these last days, but what we can do today is build an altar of sacrifice. That's it. Now, just can you lift your hands and say, thank you, Jesus. That's it. Let me hear you. This is a this is a moment of worship in our church. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, let me hear you worship this morning, church. You've been preached to. You've responded to preaching. But now, can you step into the flow of the Holy Ghost in the name of Jesus? Yes, Lord. 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 There is no such thing as free sacrifice. Look at your neighbor and say, No such thing. No such thing as free sacrifice. A cheap sacrifice is an oxymoron. There is no cheap sacrifice. If all you have to give this morning is $5, that $5 is not cheap to you. You sacrifice and you give to the Lord this morning. You don't let the voices of confusion, you don't let the voice of the enemy try to cheat you out of sacrifice. If you have 50 cents or if you have 5,000, no matter what you are giving today, don't let the voice of confusion, don't let the voice of intimidation speak to you this morning. For we are not trying to give the Lord an amount where he will be pleased pleased with us, but we are just trying to give God something that he is worthy of this morning. So right now, Lord, as we prepare to give in this moment, I pray, God, that every dollar that's given, every dollar, every penny that's given, Jesus, Lord, just as you multiplied fish and bread in the New Testament, 
We believe that there will be a multiplication that takes place in this offering, God. We believe that what you will do with this money around the globe will see miracles, signs, and wonders. We believe, God, this morning because we are giving to fund missions that thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of people can be saved because of our sacrifice on the north side of Houston. Lord, we don't give to you out of guilt. We don't give to you begrudgingly this morning, God. We don't give to you but for any other reason but to tell you how much we love you and to build an altar as a memorial to tie ourselves to, to remember that you have been good to us. And it is in the name of Jesus we pray. Why don't you say that in Jesus' name? Amen. 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 God bless you as you give. TBC is going to lead us in worship. And as they lead us, uh, could you lift your hands and just thank God for what he is doing uh, in the life of this church in this moment uh, in 2019. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. I surrender.